Okay, we are in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 17. James 5:17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So, here he is talking about prayer, as we had talked about last time, within the context of healing. Then he mentions this man, Elijah, and he says, Elijah had had a nature like ours. And we talked last week about depression. And if you, if you suffer at all from depression, you didn't hear that message last week, go online and listen to that. Or if you know someone who suffers from depression, direct them to that message. Um, but it says he had a nature like ours. And it says in, in verse 17 that he prayed that it would not rain and it didn't rain. He prayed that it would rain and it did rain. And he's using that as an example of prayer. And so what we want to focus on today is this idea of prayer. But I want to start with a story. One day, one of my, one of my children, uh, you know, this, this, this one of my children particularly says things to me just to get a rise out of me. She knows exactly, you know, where to poke me. And, and, uh, and I understand that. I was, I was once her age at one time. And I, I, I know that, you know, you do this with people, you do this with parents, and I do it with, with students. I actually say things that would, would catch them off guard, but I usually am doing it to teach them something, not just to irritate them. But she said to me one day, she said, uh, I don't believe in prayer. And, and you know, there's, there's a few things that I really treasure in life, and one of them is prayer. And so for my own, one of my own daughters to say to me, I don't believe in prayer. So I wanted to see exactly what she meant. Um, so, I said, so, so you don't believe in prayer. So does that mean that you don't believe that anyone ever prays? She said, no, no, that's not what I mean. I said, okay, I'm trying to understand what you mean that you don't believe in prayer. Did, you don't believe it does anything to pray? Or, or that uh, you don't believe that people should pray? I want to see exactly what you mean by I don't believe in prayer, as if prayer doesn't exist. You know, somebody says, I don't believe in God. It's a profession that I don't think He exists. So, what does it mean to say, I don't believe in prayer? She says, well, I don't think we really have to pray because God's going to do what He wants to anyway. I said, oh, so we should just say, your will be done. She said, yeah, that's it. Just your will be done. Because God's going to do what He wants to anyway. I said, okay, if He's going to do what He wants to anyway, why do you have to say your will be done? Are you authorizing Him to be allowed to do His will? I just want to get a handle on on exactly what you mean by this thing. And so then I started to bring up portions from the Bible that we'll look at. Because she said, look, God's going to do what He wants. You're not going to change His mind anyway. So let's look in, in Exodus 32. And this is the passage... <clears throat> that I started to share with my own daughter when she said this to me. <clears throat> Exodus 32. To see if God really can 
change his mind when we pray. So in Exodus 32, it says in verse 9, Exodus 32, verse 9, The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. So God said to Moses, these people, he says, these, behold, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. He's not referring to them as my people anymore. He's saying, these people, they're an obstinate people. Let me just destroy them. He says, let me alone, in verse 10. Leave me alone, so that I can just destroy them. So, in other words, Moses, the picture you get is Moses is hanging on to God. And God is saying, just let me at him. And Moses has got God. And Moses is saying, no, I'm not going to let you go. God is saying, let me go. And I'm going to destroy this people. And don't worry, I'll build you a great nation. And look at what Moses says. And and God's not joking around here. He had intended to destroy that whole nation. Verse 11. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So look at what Moses does. Moses said, You're saying this people, they are your people. Look at the way Moses is interceding with God. Can you imagine that he would remind God, this is not just a this people, this is your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Verse 12, why should the Egyptians speak saying, with evil intent you brought them out to kill them in the mountains? And to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. So look what he says in verse 12. He says, he says you know, if you do this thing, the Egyptians are going to say, you planned it all along to bring them out into the mountains to destroy them. So they're going to start speaking negatively of you. Moses cared a lot about what people thought of his God. Moses cared a lot about God's reputation among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers. Moses cared a lot about this. And he says, if you do this, they're going to say you just brought them out to destroy them. It's going to make you look bad, and I don't want that. Verse 13, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land which I I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So what he says, he says, remember the promise you gave to Abraham, Isaac and Israel that I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and all this land I'm going to give to them. Remember your promise, O God. It is fine to remind God of His promises. Not that He's forgotten, but so that He knows that we haven't forgotten. There's a a promise in Psalm 112 that says, Praise the Lord. Uh, uh, 
How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. So it says that if I delight in God's commandments, he will take my descendants and make them mighty in this earth. Whether they have that capability within them or not, he will make them mighty on this earth. So that when I get done with my morning quiet times, I walk over to the pictures of my four children on the wall and I remind God that I remember His promise. That as I have delighted this morning in Your Word, my Father, remember Your promise to my children that You would make them mighty on this earth. Let them accomplish great things for You. I remind God that I remember His promise. That He would make them mighty on this earth. This is exactly what Moses is doing. He's reminding God of His promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I don't know how you think you can do this. Because you made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you would take their descendants and make them as the stars of the heaven and give them this inheritance of this land. And look at what God says in verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he would do to, the pe- to his people. The Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Again, acknowledging that God, this was his people. God changed his mind. So I reminded my daughter of that verse. I said, it says God changed his mind according to the prayer of Moses. Moses didn't just say to God, oh, you want to destroy them? Thy will be done. You're going to make me a great nation now. No, Moses interceded and God changed direction. God relented, turned directions from where he was headed. He was going to destroy an entire nation. A man prayed and God changed direction. That is what we see in Scripture. That people can pray and they can change direction. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll see more about prayer and who prays for us. Romans chapter 8. Who is it who prays for us? Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So who is it here that's praying for us? The Spirit of God. God prays for us. He intercedes for us through the Spirit. Verse 27, And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Who is this who's interceding for the saints according to the will of God? We know now from verse 26 that the Spirit prays for us. Who could this be that is now praying for us in verse 27? Well, look over in verse 34 of that same chapter. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Did you know that Jesus lives now at the right hand of God and prays for us? He intercedes for us. The Spirit prays for us. 
Jesus prays for us. Imagine that picture. Jesus is praying and offering prayers to the Father on your behalf. And the enemy jumps on us and makes us, tries to make us think that we are unloved, that nobody cares for me. And the Spirit is crying out, I really care for you. So much so, I pray for you. And Jesus is saying, I care for you too. So much so that I pray for you. Now, why does Jesus live? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Why is He living again? Look over in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews. It tells us, it tells us one of the reasons why He chose to live. Hebrews 7, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24. But Jesus, on the other hand, Hebrews 7, 24 Because He continues forever, holds His priesthood permanently. Therefore, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives to pray for us. To Him, it is really important. Jesus said, I live to pray for you. I mean, look at the magnitude of this. Jesus lives to pray for me. I get this picture in my mind that Jesus is praying for me. And so, especially in my times of struggle, I picture in my mind that Jesus Himself is praying for me. Imagine if you're depressed and Jesus should come to your room and place His hand on His head and pray for you. What that would mean to you. That you would take the time to come to my room to pray for me? And this is exactly the picture he gives. That he lives, he has risen from the dead. Jesus said, he lays down his life, he's able to take it up again. And he took it up again to live, to pray for us. Jesus prays for us. So apparently, Moses believes in prayer, that he could change God's mind about his actions. The Holy Spirit believes in prayer to pray for us. Jesus Himself prays for us. So prayer, in their minds, are a very real thing. Now look in in, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus taught us how to pray. Jesus gives a teaching on prayer. Okay, so what did Jesus have to say about prayer? In in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he first gives us what we shouldn't do, which is not a bad way of teaching. He first says, don't do this, and he uses it by comparison. He says, you see, this group of people does this, don't do that. This group of people prays this way, don't do that. He says, let me show you how you should pray. So first he starts out in what we shouldn't do in prayer. In in, in Matthew 6, verse 6, But when you pray, now let me stop there, when you pray. So it doesn't say if you should happen to pray. If you believe in prayer, he says when you pray. The decision is, when you pray, it is an understanding that you pray. He says when you pray. So it's not a matter of, you know, I, I don't believe in prayer. Jesus believes in prayer so much that he says when you pray. There's an expectation. When you pray. He says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues 
and on street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So what is he saying? He says, don't use a bunch of meaningless repetition. So in other words, you could read a prayer, you know, open up a prayer book and read it, but if in my mind this is meaningless prayer, it means nothing. It's a bunch of meaningless repetition. Now if you open a prayer book and you say, this is an awesome prayer, and you pray that prayer back to God, or you open up the book of Psalms and you see a prayer that's written there. So just to recite the book of Psalms, God says, does nothing. It doesn't do anything. It's a bunch of babbling. But when you take that psalm and you pray it back to God from your heart, then it's not a bunch of meaningless repetition. He says, then he teaches us to pray. He says in verse 8, So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. So look how he starts off. He says, pray in this way. He doesn't say, use these exact words. If our only prayer is, this quote-unquote Lord's Prayer, which is really our prayer, then that's wrong. Not that we can't pray this on occasion, but he says, pray then in this way, in this manner, according to this pattern. This is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So this is how he's saying we should start. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, our Father... Addressing Him as our Father. There's this closeness. You go to other religions and you say, you know, I, I was praying to my Father. They look at you like, I mean, how dare you call God your Father? You know, to us it's such a natural thing. But it's not such a natural thing in other religions. To call God your Father? And He says, you are to pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. In other words, I acknowledge your greatness. Father, you are good, you are great. So to start a prayer time with a short time of praise, Jesus is saying that's a good way. Here is the way you should pray. Start out acknowledging Him as your Father, that He's your Father. He loves you like a Father. And you are then praying, first acknowledging, hallowed be thy name. You are really great. Then he says, here's the next thing. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, I want what you want for my life. I want what you want for my life. I would rather have what you want for my life than, I'm, than what I am praying for if it's not as good as what you have for me. Let me give you an example. A lot of times young Christian men will meet a Christian young woman and say, Father, please make her my wife. They'll do that. I don't know, do Christian young women ever, women ever do that concerning young men? Does that ever happen? Yeah, somebody nodded their head. I'm not going to say who it was. Somebody was, wasn't afraid to nod their head. So, that happens. Now, I will confess something to you. I have done that before I was engaged. And I have done that with people that ultimately didn't become my wife. And I am so glad that God didn't answer those prayers. So glad. I praise God that He didn't answer those prayers. I love my wife so much. And those other women were nowhere close to where my wife is. 
So I want, as I pray, I acknowledge that you might have something better for me. And I submit that to you. You see what I mean? That I put this before you. This is my request. You go to your father. You ask him whatever you want. I'm not telling you. I'm not getting in any relationship between you and your father. That's between you and him. And he's quite able to deal with you as his son or daughter. He's quite able to do that. But when you ask him, remember that sometimes we regret getting what we asked for. That does happen in life. Do you ever buy anything and have buyer's remorse? Why did I buy this thing? You can have prayer, prayer's remorse as well. Why did I ever ask for this thing? So when we start out, ultimately, Father, I want what's best. What you feel is best for my life, for this situation, that's ultimately what I want. This is what he's teaching us to do. This is the way Jesus is instructing us to pray. Then he says in verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. How mundane is that? Here we are before God in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Because this is the verse that speaks that it's okay to pray for all the little things, daily things in life. He cares about my job. He cares about my relationships. He cares about my happiness. He cares about my sadness. He cares about my depression. He cares about my joy. He cares about my laughter. He cares about everything. It is not... Calling God down to some unhealthy level to say, give me this day my daily bread. And he doesn't say, give me my bread for this year. It is my daily bread. Shireen often has to remind me of this as I'm starting some week. I say, I have so many things to get done this week. I've got to fly to this place, come back and fly to that place and get this. Daily bread. One day at a time. Jesus said, that, that, uh, uh, that each day has enough trouble of, of its own. That we're not to worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. It is clear God gives us grace for this day. For this day, for this one day, I will give you grace. And then tomorrow, I will give you grace for tomorrow. God doesn't give grace weekly. He doesn't give grace yearly. He gives it day by day. When the children of Israel gathered manna in the wilderness, they had manna for that day. And if they took manna for more than one day, it spoiled. And the only time that they got manna for more than one day was the day before the Sabbath, so they could gather. And that second day, it didn't spoil, so they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath, because no manna came on the Sabbath day. But he says, give us this day our daily bread, meaning he cares about all these little things in our lives. And it's okay to pray about all the little things. This is the time period of it. This Jesus said, it's okay. And then he says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That's really important. That I proclaim forgiveness to those who have offended me. And I ask you to forgive me as I have forgiven them. Forgiveness is a very part of prayer that Jesus says. Learning how to forgive is a part of prayer. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I acknowledge that I need you to lead me today. Lord, don't thrust me. Don't let me be thrust into a situation where I will be drawn away by temptation. Protect me from that temptation. Don't let me be thrust into a situation this day where I would forget you where I would be drawn away from, from, 
from you and the, and, the, and the things that you call me to. Let me see if I can find this one. This is, this is just beautiful. Um, no, I can't find it. It's gone. It's gone. I must have given it away. Anyway, it was something that I had read the other day. But, but as, we, as we pray this, we believe that God is able to protect us from temptation. Then in verse 14, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father in Heaven will not forgive your transgressions. Yikes. That in the same way that we forgive others, we will be forgiven. He says, if we don't forgive, our Father will not forgive us. And we say, well, how could He be so cruel? Because we just prayed in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And God says, okay. So if you don't forgive people who've offended you, I won't forgive you. That's what the Bible says. It's really, really a strong thing in prayer that we remember that. Now turn to Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach them how to pray. And he taught something very similar to what we just read in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place, afterward he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. So Jesus came back from a prayer time. I mean, he was, he was pumped. And his disciples said to him, can you teach us how to do that? John had taught his disciples how to pray. How about you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said in verse 2, and, when, and he said to them, when you pray, say. And so it's interesting, in this time, he doesn't say, pray in this manner. He said, it's okay to even say this. Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those, as we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And then he gives an example of prayer, of praying without ceasing, of crying out to God. And he talks about a friend coming again and again and again and knocking on the door and praying. And so he calls us to keep praying. He calls us and he says down in in verse 11, um, or in verse 10 of of, of Luke 11, Luke 11, verse 10, For everyone who asks receives, him who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. You'll not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, you won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So in other words, he doesn't say if you always ask for a fish, you're going to get a fish. But if you ask for a fish, I'm not going to give you something bad. I'm not going to give you something bad if you ask for something good, but I'm not always going to give you exactly what you ask for. He's going to give us something better if we acknowledge that He has something better for us. He calls us to prayer. And then turn, turn back to James. And the last portion in James, the last thing is the ver- last two verses in James are, My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns them back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from his error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now we know from many scripture passages that salvation, once we have it, we cannot lose it. It is for sure. The unpardonable sin was never meant for us. It was meant for that generation who had rejected him. And individuals could come out of that, as did Paul. But also... He's 
speaking of the 70 AD judgment that is coming, there were many believers in this particular generation, believers as they were undergoing persecution from fellow Jews because now they had become believers in Jesus as the Messiah, they were thinking, well, why not just not confess Jesus as the Messiah and go and, and be quiet about this? Why, 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 does, why is this necessary? And that's what James is warning them about. Because if they, can, if they don't say that Jesus is the Messiah and be baptized, they're going to end up in that 70 AD judgment that's going to come under Jerusalem. Many of them were traveling back and forth to Jerusalem. And they were going to end up in that judgment. He says, you can save their, soul, you can save them, their souls from death. But it has other applications. It has applications to today. So much of my ministry to students is just encouraging them in the Lord. It's not, you know, I'm not an evangelist in the sense that thousands of people get saved through what I say. I've known people like that. I mean, I love to be around guys like that because they bring lots and lots of people in. They have these amazing gifts. Bill Bright, who started Campus Crusade, they said he, he could get in an elevator, walk in with someone he didn't even know. By the time the elevator got to its location, the person would be on their knees crying out for Jesus to come into their life. The guy had such an anointing of evangelism. Billy Graham had an amazing anointing. You put someone else up there, say exactly the words that Billy Graham said, you might have ten people come forward to get saved in a whole stadium. But this guy would have thousands upon thousands. There are... There are people who are evangelists that have these enormous anointings. He says that we are called to encourage one another, especially when they're, they're struggling. He says, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he, he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Look in, in, uh, in Luke 22. Jesus did this. Look at Jesus' prayer when someone is about to undergo struggling. And this is the prayer that I pray over students many times as I hear they're going through something. In Luke 22, uh, verse 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold Satan. This is Luke 22:31. Simon, Simon, behold Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when once you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. And so when I hear of a person struggling, I will pray for them and say, Father, I pray that their faith does not fail. Father, I pray that their faith does not fail. That is exactly the scripture that Jesus prayed. He didn't pray for their instant deliverance from situations. He prayed that in whatever they were going through, that their faith would not fail. Because he knew that Peter was about to fall. Peter was about to deny him three times. And he said, I've prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And when you have turned, that you would then strengthen your brothers. Because when a person has undergone failure and known what it is like to fail and turned back to the Lord, there's this empathy that they could have with others who struggle. If you've never struggled, it's hard to imagine that people could struggle. But it's because we struggle that we could sympathize with others who are undergoing the same sorts of things. Many people say, you know, we should, we should, uh, we should 
you know, forgive and we should forget. I said, the forgive part I see in the Bible, the forget part I do not. We do not forget offenses against us. We do not forget our past. We can forgive, we can move on, but we do not forget. God is the only one that we see in the Bible that can forget sin. God says, I will remember your sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, I've separated your sin from you. I will remember it no more. That he casts it into the sea. And as Corey Ten Boom says, and then he puts up a sign, no fishing here. He casts it away from us. He forgets. So we go back to God and say, remember that thing that I had asked forgiveness for? You know, I just wanted to... God's like, I don't remember. I don't know what you're talking about. God absolutely forgets our past. We ask forgiveness, He's forgotten with Him. He says He forgets it. We don't have that capability and it's a good thing we don't. Because then, when our brother undergoes this struggle, we can remember what, he was, what we were like. You know, one of the things that I struggled with before I was a believer, and I've said it many times, was the, the, um, the sin of pornography. And because of that, I've been able to have this tremendous effect on young men who struggle with pornography, who come and share with me. Because I don't judge them at all. I know what that is like. But because I had been there, because I had been there, I'm able to strengthen my brother. And because we realize our roots and what we went through, and not that you have to struggle with every exact sin that somebody has gone through, but each of us has our struggles. And that's why Jesus said, I pray that your faith doesn't fail. And when you turn, that you strengthen your brothers. That you strengthen others. That you're able to do this. You strengthen your brothers. So part of our ministry, our calling, according to what James tells us, is to turn others back. To encourage them in the Lord. To restore them to that place. And we're going to close with this last verse in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. So remember, you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So it's Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 1. Brethren, if anyone... 6.1 of Galatians. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too do not be tempted. So he says, you know, we're to restore our brother, we're to restore our sister in a spirit of gentleness. Because if we don't be gentle and we start judging them, we too may slip into exactly the same thing. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for what you speak to our hearts that you love us so much that if we would pray that we could even get you to change your mind regarding things and that we acknowledge that you have what's the very best for us, that we would learn to pray and ask of you even our daily bread, our daily sustenance, but also acknowledge that your highest will be done. Your highest will be done. And Father, I pray for these young people that you would teach them to pray. And Father, that when they struggle, that their faith 
would not fail. That they would remain strong in you. And Father, I commit them to you. And to the grace of your word. In the name of Jesus. Amen.